it's great to be back in the saddle. Uh, I was here last week. Um, I know my body was, and I think my spirit was here, but I don't know if my mind was. It was just coming off of, of two weeks of annual training, and, um, and I was still somewhat in a daze. And so this week I feel like I'm, I'm back on track, and it's great to see all of you here. Uh, if you were wondering, what happened to the Wells? What happened to David and Amy and their four little rugrats? Well, one of them is almost a rugrat. You know, he, give him time, and he'll be, he'll be scurrying around uh, with the rest of them. Um, David uh, was asked to preach in one of our sister churches here in the valley. Um, so he uh, and Amy, Lord willing, are at uh, Wapato uh, Church this morning, filling in there, and uh, he's preaching in place of their interim pastor, Bob Thomas, who's been holding down the fort there for almost two years, or actually a little over two years now, and been faithfully doing that. And continue to pray for, for our brothers and sisters, not only across town, at Crossroads, they'll be beginning their worship gathering in about 30 minutes, but also many of the other churches um, all over our valley. Uh, Terrace Heights Baptist Church just began their worship gathering um, a couple of minutes ago. Um, and Chestnut Street started their worship gathering up in Ellensburg 15 minutes ago. And uh, various other churches across the valley are beginning their services and their worship gatherings in about 30 minutes or so. So be praying for them and, and especially pray for First Baptist Church as they're looking for a new pastor. Um, we've been praying for them uh, as pastors um, in the valley for a couple of years now. And um, we are continuing to do that, and our elder team has adopted that church as a, as a subject of our prayer as well. And so we're, we're doing that, and we're, we're praying for them. We're praying for God's glory to be revealed in all of those communities and his kingdom to advance in all of those places. So thank you for praying along with us. Nehemiah. Ah, we're back in Nehemiah. Uh, we took a week off. Um, to uh, look at a passage in Deuteronomy, if you didn't, if you were not here last week, or if you uh, need a refresher on that, go back and and check that out. That Father's Day message from last Sunday from Deuteronomy chapter six. Thank you, Chris, for preaching the prior two weeks. I gave him uh, assigned those really really difficult passages, the ones with all of the long uh, lists of names, and I hope you were blessed by that. Um, I know I was, um, but uh, some challenging passages, but some good stuff as we, as we saw the people of God adopt a, or, or kind of reconfirm the covenant that they had with God, that God had made with their people many, many years before, generations and generations prior, and they were reaffirming that covenant. And then, of course, we see how, how Nehemiah, uh, under the uh, uh, inspiration of God, uh, organized the people and gave them their assignments and reminded them that we all have a part in this plan. We all have a purpose here as we, as we pursue this true purpose to, to bring restoration to the people and to our city and our, and our nation. Um, he's, he's helping them see that they all have a particular role in that. And then we come to this really great passage in Nehemiah chapter 12. So I want to invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. We're going to begin looking at verse 27. We'll actually stop today short of the end of this chapter. 
um, because I want to focus in specifically on three, excuse me, three um, unique insights. I hope, uh, the, well, they might not be that unique, but they are particular to this passage. I want to show you those insights and see what God might have us do in, in, uh, in pursuing them together and in our individual lives. So we're going to read together Nehemiah chapter 12, beginning at verse 27. So follow along with me as I read aloud. Verse 27, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nito-Fathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Osmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melali, Gilali, Maai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Maseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for what you are going to teach us today. Father, I pray that you will give us all insight. That God, you will move through me. Uh, that you will use the words I have prepared to speak. Um, God, that you will uh, remove words that I should not say and add words that I should speak. Father, this morning that we may learn from you and learn from your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
The first insight I want to uh, talk about today from this passage is that our lives are dedicated for holiness. Our lives are dedicated for holiness. Look with me at this first paragraph, beginning at verse 27 again, uh, if you would, in your Bibles. They, they came to the point of dedicating the walls of Jerusalem. You remember long ago, several, several uh, weeks ago, a couple of months ago, in fact, um, we, we, we read about the people of 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 Judah and all of the people returning, the Jews returning back to their promised land and Nehemiah leading them and coming back and meeting the leaders there and they had opponents who were trying to keep them from this work. Remember the great work that they were about doing? They were there to build the, to build the wall, to restore the city to its true purposes, being a city of God, a, a city on a hill, uh, maybe a light to the nations, so to speak. And they had worked on this wall, and they had, they had devoted many, many hours to it, and they finished the wall in 52 days. Was it 52 or 51? 52, right? 52 days they finished this wall. And now here we are, finally in Nehemiah chapter 12, and we're actually looking at the, the point at which they dedicated the wall. We've seen a lot of other things going on since then. Uh, we, we've seen um, various uh, assigning of, of tasks and, and dividing up the labor and giving people jobs to do and, and the various other things between chapter uh, 7 and chapter 12 here. But now we come back to that point at which they had dedicated the wall of Jerusalem. And we see that this dedication is not like, um, not like a, a dedication as in, I am dedicated to uh, something. I'm committed to something. This wasn't that they were committed to the walls of Jerusalem, but they were actually consecrating the walls of Jerusalem. That'd probably be a better word than the dedication. Probably a better word would be the consecration. Um, because the word consecration has the idea of, of having a ceremony uh, and assigning special worth and special value to something in the name of God, in, in His name and under His authority for holy purposes. And we see that confirmed as they seek out the Levites and they say, we need the, we need the Levites to come to this dedication. We need to bring them to Jerusalem. We need to be together with this because we, want, we need to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And who were the people assigned to do all of the singing, to do the cymbal playing, to do the harp playing, the lyre playing, the piano playing, and the guitar playing. It was the Levites. The Levites had, were given that task from the very, very beginning. And uh, in fact, uh, later we have a reference to the instruments of David, the man of God. When David, the great king of Israel, and Israel's past, um, was, was dedicating items for a future temple that his son was going to what his son was going to build, he said, we'll need musical instruments for the temple when it's built. And so he assigned people for their various jobs and he gave them work to do. And he said, you guys will be the singers, you guys will be the musicians, and here are the musical instruments for those purposes. These should all be played with joy when we celebrate together, when we worship together, when we gather together. 
our lives are dedicated for holiness as well. So you think there's a slide for that. Our lives are dedicated for holiness. Um, the Levites were gathered from all of these different places, and in verse 30 it says, the priests and the Levites purified themselves. Purified themselves. And it says, then they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now this word purify is an interesting word because we would think of purify as purity as... Um, it's, it's very true. It's true. It's, it's, um, it's, it's pure. It doesn't have any, uh, any harmful things in it. Um, pure gold, right? It doesn't have any other, uh, any other metals in it. Um, pure water. It doesn't have uh, bacteria or other contaminants in it. It's pure, right? Well, that's pretty, pretty good, pretty close to what we're talking about here. But... In, in the, uh, when we see the idea of purity in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we see the, the, uh, the action, when they, when they talk about purifying something, we're talking about um, a ritual um, setting apart of an item. We're talking about saying this thing or this person is going to be purified. We're going, to, we're going to designate them for something very special, something very unique, something that God wants from them or for that item. We are going to set that item apart, which is why we get where we get the idea of holiness. And holiness means set apart. When something is holy, it means it, is, it has been set apart for God's purposes. And so... They purified themselves. It could have been a number of ways. could have been ceremonial washing. The uh, priests and the Levites were commanded to wash and purify their bodies um, and then put on the clean robes that were going to be their, their um, robes that they served in the temple in. Um, they also purified items by sprinkling water on them. They also purified items by sprinkling blood they would sacrifice an animal and they would sprinkle the blood on an item that was supposed to be used for special purposes in the, uh, in the temple. They would purify houses by doing the same kind of thing. The priest would come and inspect it and, and would declare a, a place unclean or clean based on what he found in that place. Um, it was a kind of a health code for the ancient Israelites. If they found mildew um, or or mold, or something like that in a home or on an item, they would say, this is unclean, so we'll cut that piece out or we'll clean that up, and then we'll go back later and check it, and if it's still gone, then it'll be declared pure, holy, clean. And that's what the priests and the Levites were doing. They were purifying themselves, they were preparing themselves for the dedication that was to come. So they were dedicated for holiness. And our lives are supposed to be that way too, aren't, aren't, aren't we? Our lives, if we're, if we're believers, we have a purpose given to us by God for His purposes. We talk about that all the time in the church. Each person has a different gift. Each person has different skills. Each person has a different background. Uh, has a, has, a, has a, uh, a field or a sphere of influence, Right? We all have our unique giftings, and you all have our unique purposes. 
But it begins when we realize that we have those purposes. That we are to be dedicated for holiness. We have a lot of items around our house um, for special purposes, so to speak. For unique um, purposes. We have, a, um, we have uh, uh, in the kitchen, Cheryl bakes pizzas and other items on these baking stones. And they're used for baking. And we don't use them for other things. We don't use them as a breadboard. You know, we don't cut items on them necessarily. And we don't take those items, because they're special and they're unique, we don't use soap on them, okay? Because that would ruin them, the, the, the stones. We don't put them in the dishwasher, because that would ruin them, right? They're very unique and very special. I think about some of the items uh, in our bathroom. Some of our items in our bathroom are very unique. They have a special purpose. And so they're so special that we have a sign on the drawer saying, do not take things out of this drawer. Because some people will want to take those. I don't know who, but some people come into our bathrooms, take those things out of our drawers, and they use them for other purposes. <laughs> And we, uh, we, we have a sign there that says, these are holy, these are pure, these are dedicated for a special purpose. <laughs> but that's what our lives are like, and they should be like. That's what the church is supposed to be. Yes. Our lives are dedicated for holiness. What has God called you to? What has God uniquely gifted you with? Now, every believer in Christ, when we are in Christ and we have come to faith in Him, we have been given a spiritual gift. Um, the Apostle Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 12. He writes again about that in or Romans chapter 12 as well. And he writes about these different gifts. And those gifts, those lists may not be totally exhaustive, but they are representative of the kind of gifts God gives people gifts for, for speaking. God gives people gifts for leading. God gives people gifts for serving or giving, for administrating. I wish I had that gift. I don't. But God gives other people those, those gifts. How about the gift of hospitality? Um, hosting strangers in your home. Um, there are various gifts. Identifying those gifts may be a, a start to, to discovering how our lives are dedicated for holiness. But it's one thing to know, okay, this is the kind of gift that I've been given. Or these are my passions and these are my strengths. But it's another thing altogether to have them available to God for His purposes. So when I hear of an individual who is available by God, for God, for His purposes, to say, counsel with somebody. Or to say, share a testimony uh, share the good news of Jesus, or to serve or to give, I say, amen to that. Because they're recognizing that their lives are dedicated for holiness. And they're using those gifts just as the priests and the Levites and the people gathered together did so in Nehemiah's time. Look with me at the second insight for us today. Our lives are designed for worship. Our lives are designed for worship. So the first thing 
that Nehemiah does is he picks up his, his, um, his memoir again, his journal again, and he begins speaking here in the first person. He says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. So this word appointed is great. It happens over and over in the in Old Testament, and especially over and over again in Nehemiah. We've seen this. Nehemiah is appointing leaders. He's setting up um, uh, leaders in their places. They, they, in fact, set the doors. The same, same exact word. This idea of standing, setting up, appointing people for or things for a particular task just carries on in, in this passage from what we just looked at. But he appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. And I, I love that phrase, Great choirs that gave thanks. These four words, choirs that gave thanks, is actually um, a translation of one single Hebrew word that focuses on thanksgivings. <laughs> so he appointed two great thanksgivings, would be a, one way of, of saying that. But it's these people that were, their particular task was to give thanks, to give praise to worship with the people and lead them in that worship. And, and then you can see what they did. They One choir, one group of thanksgiving, one consecrated group went one direction and they went along this particular route and they went from gate to gate and they, they went around the city and they had their leaders leading them, priests and other leaders. And, and uh, it's interesting, the priests have the trumpets um, and the Levites have the musical instruments. Um, there was a, they divided those two. Those are two different categories in their worship. And so it was always the priests who blew the trumpets. It wasn't the Levites who blew the trumpets. Was, the priests had that task as they led the people. And Ezra says, Ezra the scribe was with them. He was before them. He was probably then leading with Hosea from verse 32. He was probably leading that group um, along the walls, that particular route. Um, and then they came to the water gate. It says there in verse 37, that water gate, probably from there, they made a, a, a beeline straight in that gate right towards the temple. And then the other choir from verse 38, it describes their route and how they went from here to there. And I love that, um, uh, that some of these translations give us the tower of the ovens and the, t the fish gate and, and the tower of the hundred. I love those. Um, the tower of Hananel is a little more difficult and the gate of Yeshana is another difficult one, but Thank goodness there's some simple words in there too. And look what they did in verse 40. Look what they did in verse 40. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And then Nehemiah includes himself in there. He's, I was with them. Half of the officials were with me. The other half had gone with the other group. And, and then the priests were with them and the singers and they sang with Jezrahiah. Who? something like that, as their leader. There was a particular person who led the singers as well, the choir leader. But look at, back at verse 40 with me. Where did they end up? Where did the people end up? They ended up at the temple. Yes. They had come to dedicate the city walls and the gates. 
And they were probably singing and playing, and the priests were, you can imagine, just them go, they're going around this, this circuit route, this, these two groups, and, and you, could, you could be anywhere in the city, and you could hear one group over here, trumpets blowing, instruments playing, singers singing, and then on the other side, you can hear, maybe, they're, maybe they did a call and response, I don't know, maybe they did that, or maybe both of them were doing, playing at the same time, and, and they probably weren't synchronized, you know, to the, you know, to the meter, to the tempo, whatever, but you could hear both of them singing and rejoicing, and, and they, they, they dedicated the walls in that way, but they ended up at the temple, they ended at the temple, the house of God. And there's where they culminated their dedication, their consecration. Our lives, in the same way, are designed for worship. See, the, the city was there to, to house, to encircle the temple. Because that's where God was with His people. That's what the city was for. The city wasn't for the strength of Jerusalem only. The city wasn't only for the reputation of God's people. Oh, if we get the city walls up, if we get the gates up, we will be a great people again. Oh, we will eventually have a king again. Everything will go well with us. We'll be respected. People will look at us and go, Oh, something good and wonderful is happening there. And that may be all true and good, but their focus was on God Himself. They consecrated, they dedicated the city so that it would be a place for worship. A place for worship. I wonder about the things that we as individuals and families focus our intention on. We've talked about worship many times. When you, when you love something, when you focus on something, when you spend all your time talking about something, when you spend money and energy and resources on that thing, likely that's the thing that you worship. Because that's what we do. We are always worshiping people. We were designed for worship. We're always worshiping. You're worshiping one thing or another. At one moment, you may, be, you may be putting your attention on your family and all that your family means to you and how important it is and how wonderful your family is. And if, if, if we're not careful, even our families, as glorious and wonderful and as uh, such a blessing from God as they are, will begin to be the object of our worship. Or maybe it's our jobs. Our work, our, our careers, our success in that way. We start to put all in in that. And we start to focus on that. And we make decisions about our money. And we make decisions about our time based on that career, that advancement, that pursuit that we're focusing on. And before long we realize that's the thing that we're worshiping. There's nothing wrong with a good career. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with promotions. But they can take the place of God in the seat of worship, the focus in our hearts. Should I go on? <laughs> I could until we've, we've exhausted all of the sacred cows here this morning. But what are those things that we focus on 
that, we, that our hearts are on, that our lives encircle. I actually thought about my home. And I thought, where is the place in our home where we gather together? Where we focus our attention together as a family? And it's scary to ask, excuse me, to answer that question. Because oftentimes that focus, that place of focus for us as a family or me as an individual, it, it turns out that, that that may be a, an idol in my life. That may, be, that may be an idol in my family's life. It may be something that we focus our attention on, that, that we worship rather than God. The, the focus of the people of Israel here they circled the city, they went around the walls, and they said, the house of God, God Himself, present in our lives, this place of worship where we gather together, oh, that's my focus. That's where I'm going to bring, that's where we're going to gather together because our, we're designed for worship and there's only one that we worship. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what we worship. That's what we worship. And that's what we were designed for. That's who we were designed to worship. Well, look what happened as they gathered together. They were dedicated for holiness. They, were, they, 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 knew, they recognized their, their design for worship in the house of God. And look what it resulted in, verse 43. And I'll give you this insight. Our lives are destined for joy. Our lives are destined for joy. Verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices. Okay, right there. I'm going to stop right there. That was, that, was, that was just their... That was how they worshipped. We uh, tend to not offer great sacrifices uh, when we gather together today in, in the same way that the people of Israel and, and the Jews did um, during the temple era. But that was what they, re they recognized. These offerings, these, these animals that we're bringing before you, instead of, instead of, uh, of using them for our own benefit for our own celebrations, so that we, we kill an animal, we eat it as a family, we're going to bring it to you, God. We're going to sacrifice it to you. We're going to give this, this offering to you for your purposes and your glory. It's an act of faith that they did that. And what did they do with it? They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. And three times in this verse, it says that they rejoiced or that God made them rejoice. It says the verb form anyway occurs three times. And then twice we see the word joy. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. And then the final sentence, the final phrase, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So five times this root word for joyce, or excuse me, joy and rejoicing happens here in this verse. 
They offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. But women and children also rejoiced, lest some readers might be reading this thinking, well, you know, it's typically the men who were the ones who led in that society, and they're referring to them. But he's, Nehemiah said, no, no, no. I mean, everyone. I mean, all of the women, all of the children. Everyone was involved. It was a family affair. We were all rejoicing that day. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And as the original readers would have been reading this, this story, they would have recalled what they had read in, in the book of Ezra, which we haven't looked at as a, as a church family yet. We haven't studied that and preached through that. But in the book of Ezra, they gathered together. Because in Ezra, they had built the temple. The temple that they were worshiping at right here. The book of Ezra regards the temple. The book of Nehemiah regards the wall. But in the temple, they had rebuilt the temple. And they had come to dedicate that temple. And they rejoiced in the same way. And, it's, and the same thing is stated. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The people around them heard this rejoicing. They saw it. They saw it. And they heard it. Notice that it was God who made them rejoice. It was God who made them rejoice. Hmm. Have you ever tried to have joy in difficult times? Have you ever tried to muster up happiness? Have you ever, ever tried to go when things weren't going too well? Um, I just need to be happy. But actually, yeah, you probably have, right? Because you've said, I need to go on a hike. Or I need to eat chocolate. Or I need to go shopping. Or I, need, I, I, or I just need to go on a run. Sometimes that's what I need to do. Helps me clear my head and the joy starts to come back eventually. We, we, do, we do things because we want joy. It's kind of built into us. It's built into who we are. That's why, that's why I phrase it this way. Our lives are destined for joy. Because every single one of us long for joy, long for happiness, long for that feeling. C.S. Lewis used to talk about that, that longing. In his book, Surprised by Joy, which is the, he, he described as the shape of his early life. Um, he described a, a lot of his his childhood and growing up years and going to school and, and how he eventually came to understand that the longing that had always kind of pricked his heart, that he always felt uh, around certain things, that, that longing or that little bit of joy itself that he would feel for a twinge of a moment and then it would be gone. So that longing was placed there by God. It was, it was his call. It was, a, it was God's call to him saying, Hello, I'm here. This, this feeling of longing, this feeling of joy that you have now for just a fleeting moment is something that with me is forever, eternal, everlasting. It's full. It's full. Even our founding documents as a nation talks about the pursuit of happiness, right? That that's a right that we have. Oh, absolutely. And we will pursue it with all that we have and with all of our lives and all of our resources. Will we find it in the stuff around us? 
Will we find it in even in liberty or in democracy itself? Mm. Remember that passage that Chris read a moment ago? 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. <laughs> Peter was writing to some people who had fallen on hard times. They were going through some difficulties. They were, they were having quite a few challenges. <laughs> and he said to them, We rejoice, or you rejoice, in this truth that God has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. These things are lasting. They are everlasting. They will not go away. They are waiting for us. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Life is not easy. Whether you're in Christ or whether you're walking your own way, doing your own thing, you're going to face trials. We all do. But in those trials, for those of us who are born again into this living hope, we rejoice. We rejoice because we know that these trials are temporary and that what's waiting for us is ultimate, full joy. And he said to, finally in verse 8 of that little passage that Chris read a moment ago, though you do not see Him, you believe in Him. <laughs> we don't see Christ here with us only as He's revealed through the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters. But he said, we believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is what is waiting for us. We talk about being saved. We talk about being saved in reference to coming to faith in Christ, putting our faith in Christ, and, and, and say, I was saved, and I, my testimony is, I was saved when I was Six years old. That's, that's when God transformed my heart, gave me faith. I responded to, to His gospel. I said, I want to put my faith in you because I have a need. I need something outside of myself. I need forgiveness of sins. I need a God who's big enough to handle my life. And, and if I hadn't been saved then, uh, I would never have, I, I certainly wouldn't be here today. I'll tell you that much. And my life would have taken a whole different course. A lot of mistakes along the way. A lot of things that by His grace I avoided because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my own life. I talk about being saved as a, as a six-year-old. But in reality, our salvation is waiting for us. We, we, ha we now have the, the, the deed. Um, we have the contract. We have the covenant. We have uh, everything waiting for us. But we don't have face-to-face -face with our Lord. And we will. And at that time, as Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence 
in God's presence, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the promise that we have who are in Christ. Oh, looking back at Nehemiah, looking back at the people here, I wonder how many of them recognized their future and, and understood their future was a Savior. They're, they understood that, that their future would, would lie in a little tiny manger in a city about 10, uh, 10 miles or so from Jerusalem, there they are gathering together, worshiping at the center of their, the focus of them as a people at the, at the temple inside a city where the walls had been restored. When outside the walls in a little, little town that would be forgotten within a few hundred years, a little baby would be born. And the angels outside that little town rejoiced with great joy, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And that little boy would grow to be the Savior of the world, to live a perfect sinless life, to die a death that we should have died, that I should have died, rather than receiving that promise of salvation at the age of six. Did they know that? They rejoiced anyway. They rejoiced because God had destined them for joy in Him. Even though the promises were yet to be fulfilled. What about you? What about me? How will we respond to that? How will we, we respond to Christ? Are there promises yet to be fulfilled? Is there work yet to be done? Absolutely. Absolutely. But let us keep our eyes on Christ, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Let us keep our eyes on the joy that is set before us in Christ, in our homes, in our lives, in our work, in our families, and in our jobs, in our, our playtime, and our other activities, and in our church, in our missional communities, in our discipleship groups, in all of those places. We're destined for joy. We're destined for joy in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us this morning. I thank you for this word to me. Father, for the reminder, reminder to my soul of what we were designed for, what we were destined for, to love you, to serve you, to worship you, and to find our joy everlasting in you through Christ. Lord, I pray that you will carry us out of this place with confidence in you and the love that you have given us stirred up in our souls, in our hearts to be the people that you've wanted, that you've, you've designed us to be, Lord. Oh, we love you. We pray that you will 
He will change us from the inside out and uh, in all those areas of our lives that you desire to be. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.